Chapter 26 of the Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tia Wright. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. The Fight on the Frozen Creek. I was surely puzzled about Pooley and his Knights of the Square Table. Pooley had promised not to let his gang fight our boys again, and I kind of liked Pooley, and I believed him. But when I saw him gathering together again all the boys that he could, all those that formerly had stood by Long Tom and Watts and Grimm and such tough fellows, I was puzzled. And Long Tom, too, had said he was going away. On New Year's Eve he had said that, and you would think a boy meant what he said on such a solemn night as New Year's Eve. Yet here they all were again, as strong as before, only that Long Tom was out by himself, with an old-time friend of his, Otter, who was fourth in line in the old Red Runner's gang, and who must, I said to myself, have escaped from the school of bad boys, where Judge Granberry had sent him. Perhaps it was Long Tom who helped him escape, I said to myself. When Long Tom found out that all the others had given him the shake, he went to help Otter free, so that he would have a pal. It's awful when a boy finds out that nobody in the world wants to chum with him. But I was almost sure that sooner or later we would have another run-in with the Knights of the Square Table. And we did. Roy Doble and Jerry Moore were down around Hobbs Ferry one afternoon. I don't know what they went down that way for, but there they were, and they ran into a small group of the Knights of the Square Table. I only know what Jerry and Roy told me. They said that the boy with the bum eye was the leader of the group, and that he didn't like some remark Jerry made about him riding on ponies, and so started the fight. Jerry got a beautiful black eye, and Roy was nearly pounded to death, but the knights got away without a scratch. I knew who the fellow with the bum eye was, Sadler, the kid who made Quail bring back the picture of the skinny guy that he stole from my writing room. I never will forget that time, because it made me discover the hole in the floor that the knights had made to enter our shack after we locked up. A day after this fight, Pooley had come to the clubhouse to see me about it, but I was off on an errand for Doc Waters that afternoon and I missed him. But he left a note saying that if I would come the next day to the hollow behind Hobbs Ferry, he would talk with me. That showed that Pooley was on the square. Everything he did was fair and square, and believe me, I liked him for it. So I said to the boys around our table next day that I was going to Hobbs Ferry to talk with Pooley, and if anybody wanted to go along why they were welcome to it. There weren't many who wanted to go, because the river being frozen over from bank to bank, it made good skating, and all of the boys in our club liked skating. But Perry Stokes said he would go, and so did the skinny guy and Shadow Loomis. So the four of us started right after meeting time. I had the directions in Pooley's letter, and I led the way. When we reached the little hollow mentioned, it was empty, but I could see that the snow had been trampled there and that many feet had been treading the hollow sometime during the day. We waited about ten minutes, but neither Pooley or any of his knights showed up. So I suggested that we take a look around Banklet Creek, thinking that perhaps Pooley's gang had held their meeting in the hollow and had gone to their favorite haunts along the winding creek. It was beautiful. That scene along the creek, the trees all covered with snow, the stream frozen solid, and the footprints marking the line of the footpath under the snow. There was a bridge across the creek where the main road crosses it, and just as we went under the bridge I heard the sound of footsteps above us. 
I had been leading the way. I stopped short under the bridge and held out my arms as a signal for the other boys to stop. They wondered what had stopped me. But before they could ask a question, a boy came running down the bank at the bridgehead and started running out onto the ice-covered creek. I knew him in an instant. So did the boys at my side. I saw that Perry was going to shout after the running boy, but I clamped my hand upon his mouth. Keep still, I whispered. I don't want him to know we are following him. It's funny about him coming up here alone when he knows it's against the rules. Wait till he's further away, then we will follow. It was Herb Acom who had come up to Banklet Creek alone and was now running up the ice-covered creek ahead of us. Of course, I figured he might have heard that we had gone up to the creek and was trying to find us, but I didn't believe that, no. Herb had some irons in the fire for himself. I meant to find out just what they were. So we slowly started after him, dog-trotting up the trampled footpath along the creek until a sudden curve and a growth of snow-laden bush forced us to take the creek and we ran upon the ice. Herb was keeping a steady trot ahead of us, and suddenly he came to a stop, put his hands to his lips, and gave a peculiar sound. We stopped and drew in a little group to one side, where the slope of the bank gave us a hiding place in case we needed it. In a few minutes there appeared, from beyond, another boy, walking rapidly to the spot where Herb stood. He raised his hand in a salute as he saw Herb, and Herb answered it the same way. He was just about fifty feet from where Herb stood when there came to our ears the faint, far-off sound of a bugle call. Both Herb and the other boy heard it and I could see by the start Herb gave and the pause in the other boy's steps that each one knew that bugle call meant something. Hello, Herb, said the new boy as he reached out and shook Herb's hand, and then I knew him. He was Rags, the boy with the scar. He had that same old broad-brim hat that hung low over his face. I was just about to think you couldn't come. Thought you'd forget me today, Herb. No, said Herb, but you know I can't always get away from the other boys when I want to. We've made a rule, and I've broken it today by coming down here alone. But you know I'd do anything for you, Rags. Why did you send for me this time? Rags smiled a crooked smile because the scar that crossed over his lips drew his face into a crooked slant. You just heard the old bugle call, didn't you? He asked, jerking his head toward the direction from which the sound had come. Same old thing, just like the Red Runners. Pooley liked the old brass horn, Harkinson's, but Long Tom gave it back to Hawkins. Pooley's got a fine brass band in his gang, kids that know how to play. He keeps the old signal up, only you got to know the different tunes of the bugle to understand them. I see, said Herb impatiently, but why did you send for me, Rags? I can't stay long, you know. Hawkins and a few other boys are up this way. They might run into me. Hawkins and the skinny guy in shadow and... How is he, broken Rags? That's why I sent for you mostly. I want to know. I want to hear you tell me what he says about me sometimes. I know he talked about me Christmas time. I bet. But he stopped short as he saw Herb shake his head. No, said Herb. He never mentioned your name. The boy with the scar looked at Herb's face as though he couldn't believe him. He shoved back his broad hat and ran his fingers through his hair, and that was the first time I saw his full face. Something in those eyes reminded me of days of long past. Where had I seen him? And yet I had never known a boy in my life with a scar like that on his face. His hair was long, almost reaching his collar. Perhaps when I had seen him before, his hair was short, and his face without that ugly scar. I could not say. 
While I was thinking, the sound of the bugle came again, very near. I saw the boy with the scar shake hands hurriedly with Herb and run back across the ice, disappearing in the woods beyond. Herb, too, had turned and started coming toward us, and we moved back a little behind the shelter of the slope. But I kept peeping out, and I saw suddenly a different light come over Herb's face, and he stopped. Then he turned as the bugle sounded once more right across the creek, and I saw Herb draw himself up proudly and turn his face in the direction of the sound, folding his arms upon his chest, and then he waited. I knew now. He knew Pooley was too near, too near for Herb to get away without being seen. And Herb was too proud to be seen running away from his enemy, especially Pooley, for whom he had always had such an unjust hatred. But then Pooley hated Herb as much. I admired that boy for standing there so proudly, his arms folded, waiting the coming of Pooley. And slowly Pooley came into view. Pooley and another, Sadler with the bum eye. Pooley rode his beautiful milk-white pony, and Sadler rode the bay. Pooley carried a riding whip, while Sadler had a silver bugle in his left hand. Together they came riding out of the woods and stopped at the edge of the ice. They were looking up the creek. Sadler was saying something in a low voice to Pooley, at the same time pointing with his free hand across the ice. Evidently, they thought they were alone. I would have given anything at that minute to have understood what those bugle call signals had meant, but they were new to me. Suddenly, Sadler caught sight of Herb, standing with folded arms across the frozen stream. He jerked Pooley's arm. Pooley looked only once, then he turned and said something quickly to Sadler, and slid out of his saddle to the ground. Sadler wheeled his pony and was gone the way he had come, taking Pooley's white pony with him. Pooley advanced across the ice, toward the place where Herb stood waiting. Well, Herb, he said quietly, it's the first time we met alone for a long time. It's been a long time, said Herb as quietly. Too long for me, Pooley. That's just the way I feel, too, said Pooley. I've been waiting to meet you alone, all by myself, you see. I made a deal with your secretary, Hawkins. We don't want any more gang fights, but that's got nothing to do with single fights between fellas like you and me. I'll never forget what you done to me, Herb. And the way you treated me was a shame, retorted Herb, dropping his arms, his fist doubled. I don't let anybody get away with stuff like that, Pooley. I make them sorry they ever treated me like a snide. Don't call me a snide, said Pooley hotly. He unbuttoned his coat and threw it on the ice. He wore a red and black sweater. But Herb's temper was too much. He wouldn't wait to take off his coat, or maybe it was too cold for him. Anyway, he sailed in as Pooley came forward, and then the fight was on. Well, sir, I've seen many fights in my time between boys as tough as they come, but I'm here to tell you that this one between Pooley and Herb was just about the best I ever saw. Pooley was a smart kid, and I could see by the way he went at it that he was handy with boxing gloves. But Herb had a system all his own, he was born that way, I guess, to understand the right way to do the right thing at the right time, and the way he got in his punches was a caution. Pooley's head rocked back twice before his fist landed on Herb's head, and then Herb slipped and fell on the ice. But Pooley is fair and square. He waited till Herb got up. I had to laugh when I thought what a hard time Herb was going to have of it, because I remembered the fight I had with Pooley once in our clubhouse. Boy... That Pooley carries a ton of coal in his right fist, and there's no more stars in the night sky than you'll see when his left lands on your chin. 
Now a funny thing happened. Pooley had started in with rights and lefts on Herb's head, and it looked as though Herb was certainly going down for the count. My boys behind me watching with me wanted to go out and help him, but I said, fair and square. And then from our side of the creek, out of their hiding places, sprang two figures. Ah, how they reminded me of other days. The same old Long Tom and the same old Otter, fourth in line Red Runner. Ha! cried Long Tom. He's getting the best of ya, Herbie. I'll help ya, cause I don't like that Pooley fella. Pooley didn't have time to avoid the blow, neither did Herb have time to interfere. It happened so suddenly. Long Tom sent a crashing blow to Pooley's head. It caught him below the ear, and Pooley went down. His head struck the ice. Herb turned a horrified face toward Long Tom. What do you mean, he cried. I'll show you how to butt in you. Herb went for Long Tom like a wildcat. But here is where Otter stepped up. Two on one, that never meant anything to Long Tom or Otter. They figured it was all right to do things anyway, just as long as they finished what they started. Otter sprang upon Herb before he could reach Long Tom, who backed away. Long Tom came forward then, and the two of them bore Herb down on the ice. Come on, I yelled to my boys. Here's where we take a hand in this fight. But we never did, no, because before we had a chance to start out of our hiding place, we saw another figure coming toward the fight. It was the boy with the scar. He jerked Long Tom back by the collar and threw him skidding across the ice. Herb sprang to his feet when Otter was looking around to see what had happened, and then he gave Otter a punch in the nose that made him yelp. Long Tom picked himself up as fast as he could and without a sound made off into the woods across the creek. Otter started to follow, and the boy with the scar gave him a punch that helped him move on. Then he, too, disappeared behind Long Tom in the woods, with the boy with the scar chasing at his heels. Herb ran to Pooley where he lay upon the ice and took his head in his arms. Wake up, Pooley, he cried frantically. Wake up. Talk to me, Pooley. Pooley's blue eyes opened and looked into Herb's face. The next instant, with a flush of shame at his defeat, he struggled to his feet. Herb helped him up. They stood facing each other. Then Pooley held out his hand, and Herb shook it. You're a better fella than I thought you were, Herb, he said with a weary smile. Same to you, said Herb, grinning. I'm sorry that you got that fall. It was the bump on the ice that knocked you out. But Pooley passed his hand before his eyes and turned away. I don't know, he said. Time was when I could fight better than I do now. Then, turning suddenly, he added, Tell your secretary Hawkins that there ain't any fight between us anymore, Herb. That's what I thought I would tell him, Pooley, said Herb. And no more fights between our gangs neither. No more whatever. And with that then, Pooley walked slowly and with a limp toward the opposite bank. He whistled and in a minute Sadler on his bay appeared, leading Pooley's white pony. Sadler dismounted quickly and helped Pooley into the saddle. Then he mounted again and the two rode away. As soon as they had disappeared in the snowbound forest, there came again the sound of the bugle call. Herb, with a smile upon his face, turned and trotted down the frozen creek. I wanted to step out and tell him how proud we were of him, but something made me hold my little crew back behind the slope until he passed us. Then I thought we would go slowly back to our clubhouse and say nothing whatever about what we had seen. Which we did. End of chapter 26